be great if you would turn uh, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Uh, we haven't said that in a while. We've uh, taken a break. You remember a few weeks ago, we uh, heard from a panel as we looked, and we really honored uh, Orphan Sunday. What a great um, Sunday that was here, if you were here, right? Just nod your head. Wasn't that really good to see, to, to just elevate our thinking, to encompass God's heart uh, for the orphans, the global orphan crisis, and to see people in our churches, individual families, and collectively as a church coming around that. And then Melinda Gann brought a great word a couple of weeks ago from John 10 about the abundant life. Uh, Melinda is great. I mean, it's just the odd confluency of she's a, a math teacher, so she know, you know she's cognitive and cerebral, but she makes us cry. Don't y'all cry every time Melinda teaches? I mean, good gracious. And then uh, last week we talked a little bit about our wallets and we contrasted that uh, with the sowing of seed and we were challenged to be generous and we're praying uh, to be a generous church. We, we really have been from the beginning. We're praying that God continues to cultivate that in the life of our church and we introduce you to this uh, idea that God has put before us, secure and restore. We're praying that you'll pray about what part God has you to play in this. Ecclesiastes chapter eight, don't put the passage up yet, but hopefully uh, you're there. And uh, we're gonna look at this a little bit. No way, Jose, am I gonna recap uh, where we've been in these seven chapters, but you know I think that Solomon talk, is talking about, repeatedly talking about uh, under the sun, life under the sun, which is just a, maybe a more poetic uh, uh, description of life without God. And he over and over again talks about the vanity of vanities. Uh, all of you are aware, uh, I think we're in some ways products of the, the Enlightenment, uh, this um, philosophical idea that there's the, uh, really the need as we make progress uh, as a society that there really needs to be the eradication of the idea of God, that mankind is sufficient. Uh, whatever problems vex us, whatever um, issues ail us, whatever nightmares haunt us, mankind is enough. Uh, through our own human ingenuity, through technology, uh, through our, the advancement in education and everything, we can solve our own problems. The problem, uh, the period since the Enlightenment has been the bloodiest 200 years in the history of the world. Um, the New England Journal of Medicine and the researchers at the Mayo Clinic have told us that you can buy a house, but you can't buy a home. You can buy sleep, but you can't buy rest. You can buy medicine, but not necessarily health. You can buy a position, but not respect. Any hour of the day, any 24-hour cycle, you could turn on your television and you could witness um, a, a deeply wounded individual self-medicating via obsessive compulsive behavior that begets some type of intervention. It doesn't look like we're making all the progress. It doesn't seem that mankind, humankind, can solve all of our ills. What do you think? And Solomon sets in front of us some great wisdom. And though it's ancient, it is not archaic. Though it's written long ago, it rings with relevance to you and I today. And that's where we've been in this series, Ecclesiastes. We're going to look in just a moment at Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8 and verses 14 to 17. We'll go ahead and put that on the screen. There's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this 
will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him, here we go, under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much, much man may toil in seeking. He will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. A woman I heard about, she died and she went to heaven. And of course, St. Peter met her at the gate and he said upon her entrance, he said, to get in forever, all you need to do is, is um, spell this word. She, she said, what's the word? He says, one word, it's the word love. She says, L-O-V-E, and she gets it right, she gets in. Many, many years later, uh, Peter asked her to, to watch the gate. He had to step away for a little bit. And to her surprise, her husband shows up at the gate. And she says, how have you been? He said, well, actually quite well. You remember that nurse that took care of you before you died, that young nurse? I married her. And several months later, we won the lottery and we sold that little house we used to have and bought a big, beautiful house. And in fact, we were skiing in the Swiss Alps when that accident happened. And that's why I'm here. And she said, well, to get in, all you got to do is spell one word. He said, what's the word? She said, Czechoslovakia. We want someone to get their comeuppets, don't we? we when, when someone has done us wrong, we want them to get what they deserve. Somebody once said, we want mercy for ourselves, but justice for other people. All of you remember the movie Shawshank Redemption, and you know the hero in this film, Andy, was wrongly accused of a crime, of a murder, and he's put in prison for a very long time, for life, really, and when they find outside, of those, uh, outside the prison cell the only living witness, the warden uh, has that man killed. And Andy is left in prison. He's left uh, being sucked in, not just to prison forever, not just the confinement of never being a free man, but he's enticed into this crooked warden's uh, shady business on the side. And something about that film, you'll remember, it just, it just makes our blood boil. Our hearts cry out for justice. We want Andy to escape. We want the warden to get, we want him to get it stuck to himself. We want him to pay a, a heavy price. And our, our blood just boils. And you know, in the film, Andy escapes. And that, he escapes to the beach, by the way, to paradise. And that warden is revealed as this evil man. Triumph, truth triumphs, justice happens. We revel in what is revealed and we rejoice in that. But Solomon here, I don't know if you caught it, but Solomon, what we just read, he's saying in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 14 and following, that life is not always neat and tidy. There's not this clear and uncomplicated plot that just works itself out where it's a Hollywood ending. Doesn't always work that way. Now, something in us, cries out for the opposite. We look at this and we say, God, where? Where is your justice? Where is your righteousness? And what does Solomon say? He says that this is like the gritty part. All of this book is, is gritty, but this is a, the grittiest of all. And he's saying this. It doesn't always work out like we think. And there are big problems in this world. But what does he say? He gives us an answer. He says, do it. What do we do about this, this idea that the wicked, 
Uh, they're seen at times as righteous. They don't get what they deserve. And the righteous, they have bad things happen to them. What do we do? Did you hear it? We read it a moment ago. You know what he says? I want, I want you to hear this, church. He says, have fun. Have fun. Did you read it? Good friends, good food, good wine, and make sure those good friends have a good sense of humor. He's not talking about McDonald's in the car. He's not talking about a hot pocket alone at home. He's talking about this idea, this vanishing art, this thing called savoring. For us, it's kind of a, a poetic word. Men, it's, I'm not even sure it's in our vocabulary. It's in the heart of every woman. But it's just something that's distant to most of us in our, in our practice, in this busy, hurried life. But this idea, Solomon is saying, life is hard, and if you're going to make it under the sun, you better savor. And here's this definition of savoring. It's the purposeful prolonged enjoyment of everyday wonders. Man, I would write that down. I would write that down and later today I would pray that the Lord could work that into the warp and the woof of your life, your everyday living, the purposeful, prolonged enjoyment of everyday wonders. The gifts, the things that he gives us. I just wrote an article. It'll come out in, in a few weeks in the Metro Christian Living magazine. And I, it's entitled, What I'm Not Doing This Christmas. And I talk about fast and slow. I want to share with you what I've written. No need for you to read the article next month. Fast is busy, controlling, aggressive. It's analytical. It's hurried. It's stressed. Some of you don't need to write that out. It's just a picture of you. This is us. This is contemporary society. Busy, controlling, aggressive, analytical, hurried, stressed. You don't want to be this way. Your spouse doesn't want you to be this way. Your roommates don't want you this way. Your children surely don't want you this way. And a God who says in Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, doesn't want you this way. But this is fast. This is what I'm praying that I'm not going to do this Christmas, starting now. The holidays are starting now. We got a Thanksgiving service tonight across the street. This is what I don't want to do, but I want to be slow. Slow is calm, receptive, still, intuitive, unhurried, patient, and reflective. One of my favorite writers says that you can be busy, which is a good thing, without being hurried. And hurry, he says, is a sickness. Do you have time for the savoring? that Solomon talks about, what is it? The purposeful, prolonged enjoyment of everyday wonder. That's the invitation. This life, it's so hard. But he gives us in this text, we're gonna get deeper into this in these few moments so that that doesn't sound too trite. But he says this. He says there's a couple of things that's gonna keep you from enjoying the little things. There's, there's a couple of things that are very, very real that are going to prevent you from being a savoring person. The first, he says, are the real big problems. The really big problems. Did you see verse 14? Let's look at that again. I think we isolated. There's a vanity. It takes place on the earth. What is that vanity? 
the righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Let's just stop. Because in the church, we really get this wrong. And it starts down the hall in the children's area. And there's just something about kids. If you're a parent, you're going to feel me when I talk about this. But there's something about a kid that says love and cherish and provide. But there's something about a kid that says discipline and control, right? Because they need that and you need that for them. Don't you control those kids? So what do we do? We set out what some psychologists, behavioral experts call behavior modification. We set out to tell them the following. The central message they get uh, most places and especially at the church is this. Be good, be blessed. If you're good, you'll be blessed. But the message of the gospel is he is enough no matter your circumstances. And this is gritty, but I'm telling you the truth today. That message may not grow a church. May, nobody may be calling on me to, to write a book or to have my own radio show, but that's the gospel message that he is enough. And it's hard, isn't it, when we see someone and you will see people in your home, in your workplace, in your school. On Friday morning, we listen to the young men in our young, we listen to a young man in our small group talk about his upbringing to an angry alcoholic father. And he told about a time when he was about eight years old. He had endured some, some anger and abuse at the hands of his dad, he and his brothers, and he was innocent so often. This is one of those dads who would, one did wrong, he would just punish them all. And it was, it was bruising. And he tells a story Friday morning at Brent's. He said to us, he said, uh, his trusted small group, he said, I remember a time very distinctly looking at him in the little hallway outside of my room and I was about to say something to my dad, but I knew better. And you and I, we will see things in our home, in the school, in the workplace, in the neighborhood. We will see things and we will see people not doing righteous things. They will do wicked and evil things. And what do we see? What happens to them sometimes? Say it. Nothing. Nothing. And Solomon is saying, you're going to go crazy if you have a temporal view of life. That is true under the sun. He doesn't explain it away, but he tells us it is the way. And he says, this hard reality we can see this life temporally or we can see it eternally because in the end, God judges. And as much as I want to preach that message of do good, be blessed, the gritty parts of the scripture and some of the real things in your life attest to this fact. I've got a brother sitting down front. Man, he loves the Lord. He, he's spoken from here before and he cares for the poor and the orphan and the widows and his wife is battling cancer. They're two of the finest people I know and she was in a head-on collision last week and I'm at the hospital with them. Some of you were there and that sister is hugging and in tears she's saying, why, why, how much more? And I would love to live in a world where when you do good, you are blessed but the reality is some of the best people I know are having some hard times. And this is gritty. The first thing that'll prevent you from savoring and enjoying of living a slow, thoughtful, reflective, intuitive, non-analytical, hurried life 
The first thing is real big problems. The second thing Solomon sets to us are routine matters. Look at the next couple of verses. We read it a moment ago. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, he, this guy's saying, man, I'm really thinking. He loved wisdom, didn't he? He loved women. Bravo needs to show the real housewives of Solomon. I mean, they, they, that wouldn't work. Couldn't, couldn't get them in one place. Wisdom and Women, I, I digress. And to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. If you're here this morning and you've had trouble sleeping, you've been so uh, burdened with problems, Solomon is your guy. However, much man, let me back up. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. And one of, the, one of the renderings outside the ESV, I believe it's the NIV, it talks about the business word is translated ceaseless activity day and night. How much more ceaseless activity day and night goes on today in our world? I mean, just look at, just look at technology alone. Life is hectic. Our lives look like the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. We work like the pit crew at the Indianapolis 500. And at the core of our being, Solomon attests to this, he, he says that we're hedonists. A hedonist, a hedonist is it's just at the core of who we are, at the heart of being a human is this desire to just seek pleasure. We are animals that seek pleasure. That's at the, at the core of our molecular structure. We, uh, if you disagree with me, just think about how we love comfort from the 600 plus channels you have on your television to the chairs that you sit in with lower lumbar support that are ergonomically sound uh, to the on-demand everything. And listen to that, that phrase, on-demand. You see, you and I, we have major complaints about minor inconveniences. Just think today. Listen to your own frustrations. The barista makes the wrong drink. The bagel is not properly cream cheesed. And what do you say? The service is horrible. We were out the other night and someone said, man, this is horrible. And I thought, you know, it's not great and it's probably not good. I would say marginal, not horrible. I mean, horrible is like ISIS, right? It's, I, mean, that's, I mean, horrible needs to be, it's like Christians, everything's awesome, amazing, powerful, incredible. It's not really. You know, at times it's not. <laughs> you know, I want to go on Twitter and say, come tomorrow to Final Church. It's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be amazing and incredible. But I'm thinking, nah, I don't know if you should. <laughs> it's raining out. I don't know. I'm struggling with sin. I don't know if this sermon's any good. It's probably going to fall flat, you know. It's not, no, everything's not amazing, incredible, awesome, and powerful. And you know what? There are some things that not, they're not horrible. Listen to your frustrations. You know what? Other people are listening to you. Mamas, as you talk on the, van, in, on the phone in your van, your SUV, the children are listening to you from the back. Let me tell you, I, I, we don't have time to tell you the stories of my kids listening to what this padre says, right? But just listen to your frustration. I got a thing I do. My wife knows it, it embarrasses her. And the people went to Cambodia with me this summer. They know this. But I like to walk up. Anytime I see a line, there's some sort of customer service thing going on. I like to walk up. And the moment I walk up, I say out loud, very loud. I go, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's really fun. Just fun. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but I just immediately go, this is ridiculous. 
And let me ask you, what happens then? People turn around. They agree that it's ridiculous. They start slapping five, talking. They, everybody, misery loves company, you know this. And people just start talking. I mean, you're, you're, you're learning about their parents and their pets and their future plans. Like, you're getting a timeshare in Boca, all because you said, this is ridiculous. People love to share in that, don't they? We are hedonistic people. At church, we don't need to deny this. I'm talking to a couple of men, uh, no surprise here. Nobody blushed, let's just say it. We need to talk about it more. But there's real pornography addictions. And we love hedonism. We think life is about our pleasure. And the scripture is not silent on this at all. I say it often, the scripture gives us the best picture of humanity possible. No matter what we discover in the enlightenment age about the universe, the cosmos, our body, our brains, our behavior, the scripture teaches human dignity and it teaches human depravity. And the depraved person in you is an animal that seeks and craves comfort and pleasure. And Solomon is saying, there's a better way to live. I have lived that way. I have outlived you. I have outlived your imagination in living this way. And I'm telling you, live for significance and meaning. One psychologist that I admire talks about hedonistic adaptation. Think about this. I will explain it simply. Those are fanciful words, but let me explain it simply. Think about the first time you drove a car. The first time you drove a car, wasn't it intoxicating? Hopefully you weren't intoxicated, but wasn't it intoxicating? You and the car and the open road. Remember that? Now think about the last time you drove a car. Over half of you drove here today. Uh, were you delighted with wonder? Were you thrilled with the conveyance and thankful for the convenience? Or was it just same old, same old? And that's what Solomon is saying by this word business. He's not talking about a corporate office. He's not talking about a Harvard MBA. He's saying business, the ceaseless activity day and night, the things that are just so stinking routine. There's the big problems, the heavy things that weigh on us, but there are the, just the little vexing routine things that can weigh you down and dull your gratitude and your sense of wonder. And there's no savoring in your life. Hedonistic adaptation. Think of your last flight. My last flight, I sat next to someone. We went up in the air in a shiny metal tube. We were 30,000 feet above the earth's surface going approximately 500 miles an hour. He was watching a YouTube video and the video stopped and he started whining. And I thought, and I do it too, okay? We're talking about him because it's not about me. It's about this guy. Nobody's gonna know him. But no, he starts whining and I'm thinking, okay, isn't that something about our humanity right there? You're in a chair in the sky. You're flying faster than a bird could ever dream of. You're watching a video and it stopped for a moment and you're whining and complaining. Hedonistic adaptation, once we get accustomed to something, once we've been given something, there's the law of diminishing returns, that's a whole other sermon, but there's hedonistic adaptation. I know that, I, I have that, I deserve that. And I will no longer enjoy it. I come to expect it. Take it away from me and I'll shake my fist at you and I'll shout obscenities because of hedonistic adaptation. Solomon is saying these big problems. They're big problems. And he's saying in the middle of these big problems, there are also, there are these minor annoyances. There's the routine monotony of life. 
But what he says is true. If, you'll, if you have an open Bible, you can just glance real quick, real quick and come back to me. But Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 7, he basically says the same thing. Good food, good friends, good wine. Those friends need to have a good sense of humor and throw your head back and laugh and enjoy this thing called life. Enjoy the gifts that God gives you. It's important. Now, for the sake of uh, balance, I'm always uneasy with that word, but if you look down at your Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 8 and verse 5 and 6, I believe, Solomon talks about uh, keeping the commandments. And when he says you keep the commandments, he, he says something about evil. He makes a promise that we do see in the Bible that we do want to believe. You see that? He, sa- he says we ought to keep the commandments and what you'll be blessed and and evil will be kept from you. You've got to be careful. That's not a contradiction. It's a paradoxical truth. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Some of you, you've, you've, you've brought some frustration on your life. I got a crisis call last night. Our marriage. Hey, RG, I should have called you a year or two ago when I saw the termites in the timber, but here we are now. Things just blew up. What do you think? When can we get together? But there are things that we do where we don't keep the commandments. And here's what I'm saying. When the big things, if they come your way, if you have to endure something that that seems to be meant for the wicked and the evil, let that day come. But in the meantime, Solomon is right. Keep the commandments. And he talks about a, a proper time and a just way. That's how you keep the commandments. There's a proper time and there's a just way. Let me be real with you for a moment. I love Fondren Church. I love pastoring here. I believe we've made a lifelong commitment to be here. But I'm also learning about my limits and the need for rest in my life. And that even though some of you will say, hey, preacher, you ought to go on a vacation, you ought to rest, I'm the only one that'll do something about that. And some of you may remember this scene in the great theological movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, (laughs) where Cameron, the kid, the teenager, there's that scene where he's in the, showroom at the house, the glass showroom with the Ferrari. Is it red? It's the red Ferrari. And he's kicking the Ferrari. And he's saying, I hate the car. I hate the car. He's just kicking the front of the red Ferrari. I hate the car. You love the car, dad. You love the car. Now what's he doing? He's not kicking the Ferrari. He is kicking the Ferrari, but he's kicking at his father and the lack of love there. I hate the Ferrari. You love the Ferrari. He keeps kicking it. The Ferrari falls off its blocks and goes down the ravine in a rather dramatic scene. And here's what I'm saying. That, I want to be honest with you. That scene terrifies me. And don't laugh. This isn't a joke, okay? If you laugh, you're not laughing with me, you'll be laughing at me. But I just, I'm, I'm serious. I don't want to see my kids kicking the side of this building. All right? RJ and Haley, I don't want them kicking the side of the church. Do you see what I'm saying? And so for me to, to, to keep the commandments, for me to do things in a just way at the proper time is for me to be a husband and to be a father and, oh, by the way, to be a pastor. And here's what I want to say to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But if I did, we've got elder team and enough people that love this place who feel called here that would go get someone. And as somebody told me the other night, this church can always have another pastor. But my kids and my wife can never have another husband and father right? (laughs) Spell Czechoslovakia. (laughs) 
So I'm all about keeping the commandments. I don't want us to sink down an abyss where maybe we've, heard, we've overheard something today. And I'm saying to some of you, we want to help you. We want to call you into community. Here's where we are as a church. Word is already spreading, but we've set aside thousands of dollars every month because some of you are generous to go toward benevolence where we can meet needs in our church family. But sometimes those needs aren't always called on or sometimes as we are learning, a team of wise people, they are learning that sometimes helping hurts. And we have made a decision, our elder board, to take some money and put that towards counseling. A marriage and family therapist, a clinical psychologist, I'm just going to tell you, we're not introducing him yet, but he's good. He's not going to be full-time staff. We're not going to have to pay him a lot of money. But he's going to be here one or two days a week, and he's going to help us with other people in our church who can do this so that we can come around you and Blue Cross and Blue Shield and Jesus and all of us will partner together and we'll work so that you can get help. And some of the frustration in your life is because you have not kept the commandments. There has not been the proper time and the just way in your own life. And don't miss what Solomon says, a lot of evil can be prevented. But back to the gritty thing. Just want to put the passage up and I want to reference what it says, Psalm 104, verse 14 to 16. It's um, three of my favorite verses, especially during the holidays when I stop my fast and start my slow. And it says that God gives what? He gives growth. He allows the grass to grow so the cattle can graze. He allows the, the fields to produce fruit so that people can cultivate that. He gives us wine to make the heart glad. He gives us oil to make our face shine. He gives us bread to sustain our body. Aren't you grateful that God is good? And what I want to say for some of you right now, you're in the midst of a Psalm 104 season in your life, and I would say savor the purposeful, prolonged enjoyment of everyday wonders. Don't take that for granted. Cut out some of the fast food and invite people over. And thank God for the blessings. But some of you know this passage, Habakkuk chapter 3. 17 and 19. You know what it says? It's almost like the opposite verse. Again, it's not a contradiction. It's just the beauty of this book. It gives us a holistic, all-encompassing truth. And it says that there are times when there's the fig trees don't blossom, where there's no fruit on the vine, there's no herds in the stall, the flocks cut away from the fold, the fields do not yield fruit in its season. And he says this. He says, even though I will rejoice in the Lord my God, I will exalt in the God of my salvation. Solomon says a lot in chapter 8. He talks about evil and wickedness and even talks about death. And he's saying, hey, guys, you can go to the gym and you can bust on your glutes and shred your pecs and tear those muscle fibers apart, hoping they grow back bigger. And you can stare at yourself in the mirror for 10 minutes like I saw someone this week. But that temple, you're going to die. Instead of living for all these comforts, Cast your life in with meaning and significance. And it's going to be gritty. 
It's going to be gritty. What I love about this, I don't want to miss this because it's very practical and it's theological. When, when Solomon, when God tells us to gather around the table and to enjoy savoring, uh, it's foretelling the wedding supper of the lamb and the banquet table of the king. You see, we're always going to preach the gospel. We're always going to go to Jesus. And these very ideas, when you and I gather around the table and we do it God's way, not a hot pocket alone at home and not McDonald's in the drive-thru running fast, but we do it his way. Here's an idea, Fondra Church. Invite someone who doesn't have a table to come around. Invite that person and let them share in the joy and the gladness. The wedding supper of the lamb, the banquet table of the king. You see, when I do this, when I, when I practice slow and not fast this Christmas season, I'm practicing for heaven. Pray with me. Our team is on the way up and they're going to lead us in a, in a song. We're going to worship God together in response. In a time of prayer, we're going to stand down front, a few of us. And um, we would love to be able to pray for you, over you, with you about something uh, in your life. My wife is going to be down here and our brother, my brother Steve Kinsley. I referenced him earlier. And if you've got something hard in your life, man, here's a brother that can pray for you. He's tender to the Lord and he, he knows. He knows pain now and he knows this practice of rejoicing in the goodness of God even in spite of some difficulty. And we want to give you the opportunity this morning to be, to be prayed for. I want to challenge you to, if you feel that nudge, to do that today. Give us this opportunity. God, we, we do offer this to you today. Wet outside, a little toasty in here. We want to give you a few more minutes to do your work in us. And God, I know as you've called me here, you've called me to be a husband and a father. And Lord, to get rest and to slow down and purposefully prolong the enjoyment of everyday wonders in my own life. And God, I would pray that for our church. I pray that we would... Um, rise up against the misconceptions of being a Christ follower. Lord, that we would not want to be seen as people that are stuffy and judgmental, but we would want to be seen as people of great joy, of great gladness, people that other people want to be around. And Lord, I know that oftentimes in the church, uh, we take on big causes and we should. Injustice and illiteracy and ignorance and spiritual emptiness and selfish leaders and poverty. But sometimes I know those who, uh, who've taken on a big cause are uh, many times over the, the people that we just don't want to be with. And I'm blown away by this passage to see that we can tackle things and know the pain in this world and be a remedy. But at the same time, we can pause for great gladness and joy. And I pray that would be true of our church. We give you these moments as we sing and as we pray in Jesus. Amen. You come today if we can pray for you.